Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Good morning, Mission Church. It is so good to be with you this morning. You look good. It's dark because I can't really see, but take the compliment anyway. Um, don't we, don't you love your pastors, Pastor Tyler and Rachel? Oh, no, 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 no. We can do better than that. You know, I always say, no, seriously, what you get on stage is what you get in the pew. They are the same and so thankful for your generosity, for your love, your hospitality. Um, it, you know, I always say it's, it's sad if a uh, own dog can't wag its tail. So, you know, if we had need to have a church that can at least celebrate their own pastors. Um, you know, you have people come up here and talk about how good your pastors are uh, and then and they don't even, uh, you know, live here. So I live here. I, I know you. So thank you so much for being people uh, uh, of the Lord who love people who love God. Um, you're amazing. But Jesus is greater. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Um, God, we so thank you, Lord. God, that what a privilege it is, God, to even through the rain, God, that we can come to your presence. God, that we can taste and see that you are good, that we can open up your word, Lord. Would your Holy Spirit do your work of illumination? God, would you just make it plain, God, that you love us, that you're passionate about uh, uh, our surrender to you, God, that you're passionate about our joy and our delight in you. God, have your way. God, we, we, we don't say that lightly, God, but I pray, God, that through today, God, we would, when we say have your way, God, we, we truly mean that, God, that that healing might take place, that deliverance might take place, God, that correction and strengthening might take place, that encouragement might take place. God, if they hear me, they're going to be duped. God, but if they hear you, God, you have the words of eternal life. And so, God, we're excited to see what you're going to do, how you're going to move, how you're already tilling the soil of our hearts. God, let it be a tender to you, God, in the name of Jesus. Let it be malleable, God, in your hands. God, we're the, we are the clay God you're the potter God we're so excited that you make great things you are master at the work that you do uh, God so we say thank you uh, what a privilege it is to open up your word in Jesus name we pray amen so you have made it to week two of the new year that's something to talk about. There are some people that I know that did not make it to see this morning, but yet we have breath uh, in our body. Uh, we have clothes on our back, and, and hopefully you had something good to eat, um, because otherwise um, uh, I need your good attention today. Um, so um, did you know um, that, uh, well, you do know because Pastor Tyler makes a, a point every new year that most of you will not meet your new year's resolutions by the end of the year. Uh, but it is already at week two, the uh, professor and chair of psychology at the University of Scranton uh, has uh, did a study, and uh, this study showed that only 71% uh, are still fully committed to their new year's goal. 71%. That's barely passing at week two. By the end of the year, they say that only 8% of all Americans will be committed and have seen any type of, any type of success when it comes to their New Year's resolution. Whoo, my God today. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm not shocked at that because uh, I'm not one of the 8%, okay? Let me tell you, I'm, I'm already, I'm not even a part of the 71. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna tell myself today. Um, so my family wanted to do a detox plan, um, and they wanted to invite me in. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, order order that this little elixir of life um, on Amazon, and I'm in. I'll drink. You know, they said it, it, it packs a punch, but you know, it cleans your system. And I was like, okay, I can do a little bit of bad tasting thing for you know once once a day. I think it's for like two weeks. They said you're also supposed to eat more healthy. I said, oh, okay, I can do that. They said you're supposed to be gluten free. Now wait a second. <laughs> God said that you would not eat, uh, live by bread alone, but that doesn't mean that uh, we not, can't have bread. You're supposed to, it said bread alone. So more things than bread, but bread is essential. He said, I'm the bread of life. 
So the fact that I, I don't know if this is going to work for me uh, to do this detox. Um, and, and then uh, they said, well, you know, if you do this plan, not only do you have to, you know, uh, eat a very uh, kind of a strict diet here, but you also... Um, it could cause you, you know, a detox, you guys get, get out of your system. And I've seen their experience, and I said, I don't really want to make the bathroom my secret place of prayer um, for the new year. Um, and so I, I am not part of the 71%. But, but here's the thing. Goal setting and planning are important at the same time, uh, and, and yet... Um, we can sw- be swept up in the arrogance or the pride uh, in the illusion that we are in total control. That I think this is why New Year, New Me is so easily bought into is because it has the illusion of if you just make a decision, your life will be better. Your life, the, the, the life that you really want is very attainable. You have the willpower to do it. And at the same time, we are slaves to our own desire, and that's why we don't end up making it. You, you want the abs, but you also want Chick-fil-A. You want to save money, but you're ad- uh, addicted to online shopping. You, you, you want to spend more time with family and friends, but you are a workaholic. You, you want to work on your mental health, but you love some drama. You, you, I'm coming for you today. You want to stop procrastinating, but yet you just spend hours scrolling on social media and you know you got to binge watch that new Netflix show that came out. There's just this competing desire that here you have what you want your life to look like and yet you have the present desires. And so how do you end up meeting these goals that you may or may not have? I think it's a good thing to plan and a good thing to goal set, but but James um, uh, kind of puts us in a healthy perspective. James four thirteen through sixteen, and it'll be on the screen. It says, "Come on now." Um, no, it says, "Come now." You say, <laughs> "You you who say today or tomorrow." We'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Like there's a humble, uh, humble pie here that we need to have a slice of this morning that if you... Uh, uh, would be well to remember that in 2020, I'm sure you had goals, but uh, come March, everything shut down and then the world was turned upside down and you can find yourself that you're not in control, right? That you can have a plan for your life and, and yet there are some things that are just not in your control. So it is important that we understand that because Psalms 127 kind of gives us a, a glimpse of, well, how do you make it if, if you are not in control? How can you obtain what your heart really desires if, if you can't make the decisions, if you, if you can't get yourselves to ultimately where you want to go? Psalms 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go uh, uh, late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil he gives uh, to his beloved sleep. Hmm. That, that your building is, 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 is in vain if it's not surrendered to the Lord. That the Lord is a better master builder of your life than you could ever dream. Uh, one of my uh, semesters uh, at Cal was a part of uh, Crew, uh, which was a, a campus a Christian organization. And we had weekly meetings, and one of the ministry team leaders, his name was uh, uh, Dan Goodson. Um, Dan, if you're watching, I love you. You're awesome. Um, uh, he's probably not watching. Um, <laughs> to be honest, he doesn't know. But uh, anyways, um, shout out anyways. Uh, 
but he said something that has always stuck with me. He said, he said, no matter what else happens, if I leave the semester loving Jesus more than when I started, this semester will be a success. And I, I want to, to submit to you this morning, let me change up the words for you. No matter what else happens, if I leave this year loving Jesus more than when I started, this year will have been a success. That I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds my tomorrow. And because of that, if I can fall more deeply in love with Jesus, it will have been a success. So Pastor Tyler uh, has been going through this new series called What Jesus Wants. And, and today what I want to talk about is why that matters. Why does G what Jesus wants matters to you and to I? Or why it should matter to you and to I? And so uh, the topic that I want to talk about this morning is the secret of surrender. The secret of surrender. And so we're going to look at... Um, What's my scripture? Oh, uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs who uh, are the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, <laughs> I got more. Circumcised on the eighth day, he's reading his resume here, uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Somebody say surpassing worth. Surpassing of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. That's the, the, the key verse I want, I want to pick for, for that for the next couple of moments. Uh, but it continues to say, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. So namely, Paul here in addressing the church at Philippi, in this section of his letter, is addressing that only right standing with God comes through the trust in the work and the person of Jesus, period, point blank. That is not by any actions or any resume of your own, but it is not because of what you do or have done, but because of his namesake and his work on the cross, it is finished, it is done. So, so this is what Paul is addressing, but it's notice here at the beginning of this chapter, and really they didn't have chapters back then, this is one whole letter, but uh, when, since we chuck it up, at the beginning of this uh, chapter, Paul makes a transition in the letter by framing all of his points that he's going to make in the next couple of verses in the phrase rejoicing in the Lord. Can you say rejoicing? Rejoicing. In the Lord. Gratitude is key to seeing the worth of a surrendered life to Christ. This life is too hard, no doubt. And Paul is writing this letter while being in prison, yet doing gospel work. So, so mind you, so he is writing this letter while already being imprisoned, and yet he says, rejoice in the Lord. That Yet, we see that he elevates rejoicing as a high priority, and this is the fruit uh, that the world can see uh, when we are rooted in Christ. 
When we have the fruit of joy, it is not something that uh, we can muster up uh, uh, in our own strength, but uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And so this is not something that you can uh, obtain on your own, but it is the work of the Spirit that produces a joy that the world can see that says something's not uh, like the other, that you should have lost your mind already given all the things that you've been to, but yet you still are going to church to serve the God uh, that you said has all things in control. You, you may have lost your job, may have lost a loved one, uh, may be going through a challenging season, but as Job, I don't know if anybody has that testimony, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. That That's the kind of joy that the Spirit of the Lord produces and only he can produce. Uh, and that's what's attractive to a dying world. And we see that this joy is not based on a salary, a certain house, a neighborhood, an education, a political party, friends, a husband or a wife, a children or a healthy body, but as the fruit of the spirit. To keep this in perspective, Paul has gone through a lot of things. In 2 Corinthians 11, 25 through 28, he, he's not saying rejoice in the Lord uh, flippantly. <laughs> this is what he is, his, his resume has been so far as far as things that he's gone through. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, once spent a whole night uh, and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people. It'd be your own people. The Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and in the deserts and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. Hello. Um, I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights, I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I have been uh, uh, shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep warm. Then besides all this, he has one more thing to add. I have a daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Whoo, my Lord. And yet he has, he says, rejoice in the Lord. That's a sustaining type of joy. That's a, uh, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. That's a, that, that, that's a, that's peculiar. You, you, you don't see that in the world. So this is a written command encouraging the church to make continual decisions to find their joy in the Lord. Otherwise, it would make them more susceptible to the dogs or the evildoers who are trying to deceive them by perverting the gospel message of Christ alone. For if you forfeit uh, the sanctification that Christ alone can give, you will without a shadow of a doubt seek other things to satisfy. In the same way, if we are not careful, we are susceptible to culture and circumstances of this world to tell us who we are, the purpose of our life, and the plan of our life. If we're not careful, financial pressure can tempt us uh, to trust in our job or investments uh, or saving accounts for stability instead of God as provider. But we got to fight that with the truth. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God uh, will supply every single one of uh, our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Um, 1 Timothy 6.17 through 19 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Inflation has nothing on the hope of God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, that you have a God who provides stability. It, it, uh, loneliness can tempt us to trust in friends or family or sexual relationships for contentment instead of trusting God as the one who is near. But, but I... I, I I'll give you a little tidbit this morning. Um, this is not really even in my notes. Um, get, get you some uh, scriptures to memorize so that in the time of trouble, um, you know exactly the promises of God that the blood of Christ has been bought for you 
to believe. And so um, loneliness, as I said, can tempt us to, to not trust that God is near. But if you remember Psalms 145, it says the Lord is near to all those who call uh, to him, to all those who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. Lack of fulfillment can tempt us to trust a success or careers or parenthood or positions of influence for satisfaction instead of God as the satisfier of our souls. But as I read earlier, John 6, he said unto them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That those are promises that we can hold on to because of the finished work of Christ. And so these are, are for sure things. This is, you can take it to the bank uh, and check that cash. Uh, cash that check. Um, I was just making sure you were listening. That was a teacher move. You are awake. Good morning. Speaking of, I got you, didn't I? Uh, speaking of, of uh, a teacher uh, move, I ended up um, saying something that my student uh, used against me. So uh, on every Friday, uh, we have this trivia. Uh, our, our, the whole school gets to uh, participate in this trivia game for donuts. And what you do is the principal will come on the, for uh, the PA for announcements. He'll give uh, the announcements and some shout outs. And then at the end, he gives a trivia question. And then you have to call uh, the, one of the extension numbers. Uh, it changes every time, so you can't predict what it is. And if you are the first one to call in and with the right answer, your class gets donuts. So I'm, I'm competitive Teasley, okay? I am, I, I, every Friday, I'm there at the phone, I'm ready to go for it. I ne have never won. Not one time. I am positive that this is a safety issue, that the phone lines in my room are slower than everybody else's, because I, I, I promise you, I'm, I, I'm ready. Like, I already have the phone up, ready to pre-dial. Most of the extensions start with four, so four is already pressed. Like, I'm in it to win it. This past Friday, though, like, like I said, it be your own people. I'm like, you, the kids, they're, they're like, he's reading the question. I'm like, can't hear. I said, shh, I can't hear the question. And it was like, what the question, the trivia question uh, this time was, um, uh, Yelp had rated uh, one of the Berkeley bagel places as the best bagel places in America. What was the bagel? I was like, I don't know the bagel place. Da, 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 da. I was like, why aren't you Googling it? Like, I was getting so heated. Like, come on, get your phones. You're always on your phones anyway. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and then I was like, so I was like, I searched it up and I, and I finally got the answer. And then they were like, well, you don't know the number. You weren't listening. I said, we're a team. <laughs> if I don't know the number, you should. So then we get ready to go over homework. So I, I'm trying, trying to digress. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be a bigger person. I'm going to help you even though you didn't help me. <laughs> and one of the students said, Oh, you're right. You're the bigger person, all right. And I said, I can buy you donuts. I said, whoo, Lord have mercy. Now, I bring this up. It's when your own kids use your words against you to try to get under your skin. Paul is doing the same thing here. Okay. You're like, where were you going with this? I, <laughs> Paul, Paul is using the same thing here. Paul, in his next, after he says, rejoice in the Lord, he says, be watchful for the dogs and the evildoers. Dog here, he's using that word intentionally because this group that he's talking about were the Judaizers, and the Judaizers were a group of Jews that were converted to Christian, kind of, where they believe that it's some of God's grace, but uh, it's a mixture of God's grace and my works. So you really have to kind of follow Jewish rituals and kind of to get the grace of God and then you're really you're really saved and they would call the Gentiles um, who were trying to um, 
uh, have this yoke and burden on them to, to get closer to God. Uh, uh, dogs, because they were unclean, and they were trying to show that the Jews were superior. And so Paul is using their own words against them and says, you want to know who really are the unclean ones, the dogs, those who pervert the gospel message, that it is Christ alone and his work on the cross that it is finished. It is nothing by your own work that we are saved. He even then goes on to double down, as Pastor Tyler would say, and he says that um, if it were really by uh, the work uh, of us, um, I, if anybody has a reason to boast, I do, and he lays out a, a really good resume. Uh, and basically he says, but I counted that as garbage, as rubbish, um, Greek word feces, um, for, for the sake of knowing Christ as my Lord. That really all you are doing is striving to no end. Galatians 2.16 makes it plain that know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is fresh water hmm, to those who are thirsty and exhausted, trying to uh, paddle in your own strength, trying to strive in your own strength. That We don't have to strive for freedom, but it's gifted to us. That as, as Pastor Tyler uh, brought up this scripture, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. That is a gift to you. That you don't have to earn the freedom of Christ, but to accept his freedom through the gift of Jesus Christ. So this is vitally important to stress because one of the greatest enemies when it comes to living a surrendered life to Christ is that you believe that you have been surrendered to a set of rules or right behaviors. But God is not after your duty or your compliance to a set of rules or right behaviors, but your delight and your joy to truly see him as all satisfying and to be the one that is treasured above all else. To have a heart that would say, as Paul did, I count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. God is seriously passionate about your joy and delight in him. John 15, 11 says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Psalms 37 and 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore psalms 43 and 4 says this psalmist who was vexed uh, by some enemies and was looking for vindication uh cries out uh in uh desperation and says i will go to the altar of my god to god my exceeding joy not my uh slave master Psalms 51, 12, David had sinned, and uh, even though uh, he had not lost relationship with God, his fellowship with God had been impacted because of it. And he says, rejoice to me the joy of your salvation. That God is really interested, is really passionate in your surrendered life to him, to see him as a yes to him as beautiful, a yes to him as a joy and delight, not a burden. Obedience minus relational intimacy is legalism. In marriage, you have a spouse doing favors for each other because they are serving each other out of love, making dinner for each other, doing dishes, doing laundry, filling up the car with gas. But you take relational intimacy out, all you got is two roommates doing house chores. <laughs> that if you have the duty without the light, there, there, there is no joy to be had. 
God, through Moses, is laying out details of the covenant between God and his people, uh, the blessings and the cursings of keeping this covenant. And here in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, God gives a warning uh, to them if they are not faithful to, to him. And, and, and listen to this warning that he, that he says in verse 47 of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. He says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies who the Lord will sin against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. That it was the problem wasn't that they were they weren't serving God. The problem was that they weren't serving God in joyfulness and gladness. That it was out of some duty that they were trying to impress God. But uh, I'm going to come for you today. Uh, you coming here on a Sunday morning, drinking your coffee, being all hell King Jesus. That is not impress God. He, he is not after your ability to wake up uh, early uh, on a Sunday morning to come to church in the rain and sing a song to Him in uh, your or an off-key voice. That is not what God is after. <laughs> that he's after your heart. He, yeah. he wants you to see him as all satisfying, as all beautiful, yeah. as worthy of all treasure to be had. Yeah, right. And so, ultimately, I want you to get this, that Christ did not sacrifice himself on the cross just so that you wouldn't lie anymore, just so that you wouldn't lust, or just so that you wouldn't be mean, or so that you just wouldn't be arrogant. His sacrifice is not for you to become a more moral person. Christ is not freedom from sin for the sake of being free from sin. Christ saves you from the power and penalty of sin so that you might be saved to know the power and pleasure of his presence. That sin is a barrier to your experience with the relational God. And so the ultimate reason why Christ died on the cross, the end-all, be-all, is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a means to which you have a relationship with God. That it's not supposed to be a guilt-free conscience that is the gift of your salvation, but it is to be in relationship with the God of the universe. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered uh, once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That is the gospel message. So you have been duped, deceived, tricked, bamboozled. I, I did thethoris.com. Um, if you believe that Christianity is just another way to be a better person, you're missing out. You're missing out on the all-satisfying one. So a relationship with Christ is not a means by which we get X, Y, or Z. A relationship with Christ is not a tool to become a better person, more successful, or have a meaningful life. A relationship with Christ is not just a pill that we take to get rid of or to numb pain, sorrow, grief, depression, or anxiety. Those might be benefits of this Christian life. The point of a Christian life with Jesus is to be intimate with him. And so the point of the relationship uh, is Christ alone, period. Not Christ because, not Christ comma, but Christ period, Christ exclamation point. That he's the end. He's the means and he's the end of our salvation. Now, like I said, I want to uh, hone in as we uh, kind of take a turn around the corner here uh, in verse 8. Paul says, Christ Jesus as Lord. And so uh, this is where sometimes I feel like we check out. Like you come to church and you hear about, oh, this freedom thing. I like that. Okay, sign me up. Joy, peace, put that in my shopping cart, check. The moment you enter this four-letter word into the conversation, things get a little dicey. Lord, and the reason why is because I have my goals. I have my priorities. I have my plans. I'm the best person to be in charge of me. Really? How's that going for you? Looking back at your life and the decisions you've made, you wouldn't make anything different. You've just been the perfect builder, huh? I, 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 I just think that if we were truly honest with ourselves, you know that you are not a, a good Lord over yourself. 
And yet here, Paul is claiming Christ as Lord. That, that, is, that is where we rejoice. It says rejoice in the Lord. That he could have used a lot of titles to describe the Lord. He said rejoice in Savior. Rejoice in Healer. Rejoice in Deliverer. Rejoice in XYZ. But he decided to use rejoice in the Lord. That really the joy to be had in a surrendered life to Christ. That you can't taste and see that he's good if you don't experience him as Lord. Throughout scripture when joy and delight is talked about, uh, Lord is mentioned. Just at the beginning of uh, this chapter, as I said, Paul uses rejoice in the Lord. We have rejoicing and the Lord together. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Habakkuk, you don't hear that in church as often. 318, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In Psalms 35, 27, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who who delights in the welfare of his servants. That God is looking not to harm you, but to do you good. That's why he's a good Lord. That Lord and joy are inseparable. Your experience of joy in the Christian life is not in spite of Christ's lordship, but because of Christ's lordship. What does it mean to call Jesus Lord? Well, you are saying that Jesus is in control of your life, that you fully trust in him to have full authority over who you are, what you do, what you say, who you live with, how you spend your time, money, and energy. Now, that can be really scary to hear. Nobody is like, whoa, I didn't hear any claps of that. Well, what happened to that one? Where were you, where'd you go? I was talking about joy, peace. Whoa, come on, Michael. Yeah, and then I read that. You're like, oh. Mm, mm, mm. It can be really scary to hear that. You want to know why? You, you, you hear that and you think, that sounds like death. Giving up all that control, and you would be right. However, this kind of death is the path of life. Jesus says, he told his disciples this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So you will, if you try to strive and strive on your own, you will never know joy. You will never know peace. You were never made to be Lord over your life. No one was made to be Lord over their life or anything else outside of the creator himself. I want to address why Jesus is Lord is a good thing uh, by looking at God's first interaction with mankind and have three points and we'll be done. First, uh, Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female he created them and then Genesis 2 and 7 says then the Lord God formed the man of the uh, dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature number one Jesus is Lord is a good thing because he's creator Since God is creator and we are the creation, it automatically puts weight on what he has to say about who we are, what we need, and what we ultimately want. There's no guessing work with God. He, he, He knitted us and formed us. We were created for him and by him. Colossians in chapter one says that. 
that he was the one who designed us with a specific purpose in mind. This is the reason why we have a confidence to, to trust our life in his plans. This is no Joe Smo off the street that I'm saying you better say yes to. But this is the God of the universe who is the creator who uh, knitted you and the reason why you have breath in your body today. That, that, that is a, a safe place to put your yes in. Either you're going, to put, you're going to put your yes in something or someone and they will never have the capacity to carry the weight of your yes but the creator God himself. One of the main roadblocks to fully surrendering to God is that we don't fully trust that he can handle the level of authority in our lives. We come from the mindset that I and I alone can truly know what's best for me. Back to teaching, I'm laughing because it just this conversation kind of baffles me. So I had a student who was did not pass first semester, really concerned um, about the the trajectory uh, at Berkeley High, and especially in regards to math. And so I pulled them aside and I say, "Hey, look, we we really need to do some work here. That it, all hope is not lost." But I, I, you need, you must, I said, you must come see me on a regular basis so I can get more one-on-one help with you or you're not going to make it. Do you know how she responded to me? I was kind of like, what? She was like, oh, okay, I'm good though. Thank you. <laughs> no. What do you, what do you mean? I said, that's what I said. I said, what do you mean you're good? And she goes, I, I understand. I get, I get the math. I said, you, no, you don't. <laughs> I kind of had to be mean. I said, no, you don't. You actually don't. Like, I, I've, seen, I've seen your work, and you don't get it. So you need to come see me. Oh, maybe. Okay, well, we'll see, but I, I'm really getting it. I'll be okay. I said, you got, a, you got an F first semester. What do you mean you'll be okay? You're laughing, but that's how you act with God. God says, you need me, and we're like, I'm good. I got it. It's okay. And God is looking at your life. And God is, God is looking at your life and saying, you went to F first semester. It's interesting when you're arguing with the teacher, it'd be, it'd be one thing if her friend said it, right? Like, it would, like, they don't have the authority, they don't really see your work. I'm the teacher. Like, I've seen your work. Like, I've graded. Like, you don't see all the zeros that I give back to you? Like, where is the, dis- where is the miscommunication? So I had to, like, make it plain, but that's how, like, dense we are with the Lord. It's like we have a spiritual book that says you are sick and the heart is desperately wicked. Who can heal it? And God says, I can. And we're like, well, I'm going to try them on. <laughs> but he's creator. Now, going to my second point. We really doubt the intention of God. And so we ask, is he really for me? Is his plan really good? Maybe his plan is good, but it's not best. Many times we allow other people's voices to carry more weight than God's in our own life. But if this happens, this will always lead to death. Later on, we see, um, we're going to look at uh, Genesis uh, chapter 3. And it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And this serpent, um, who theologians believe to be Satan, he said to the woman, did God actually say that you shouldn't eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree of the fruit. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. He playing. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. 
This is where Eve fell into the trap, and we do too. When she allowed the doubt of the intentions of God and the character of God to seep in, Satan questioned what God said, which caused her to then entertain the idea of who God was. And if he was really God, Satan implanted this thought in her mind he wouldn't have set boundaries on this tree. He, his intentions are malicious. He just doesn't want me to be like him. And so I, 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 I'm going to use my own wisdom to see that this tree is actually, it's good for food. It's actually a delight. I don't care what God says. And so she ate of it. That notice here. So within her own wisdom, she was convinced that the fruit could give her something she already had. That it was said in chapter one that God said, let us make man in our own image and our own likeness. And the doubt that Satan planted was, he doesn't want you to eat it because he doesn't want you to be like God. But if you knew your word, if you knew what God said about you, you were already made in the image of God. So she was falling for a lie because she didn't know who she was. That she was looking for the created thing to provide what the creator had already provided for her. In the same way, God says, ah, da, 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 don't touch that relationship. Not good for you. Yet we, in seeking satisfaction and intimacy, go ahead in our own wisdom and we say, I'm going to see for myself. And when God offers, uh, but yet God offers satisfaction and intimacy more than we could ever dream. God says, don't go that way in that career. Don't, don't do that. Don't make that decision. Yet in seeking security in our own influence, uh, in our head, we say, mm-mm, you know what? I see this career is good. It makes a lot of money. This is going to be secure. I don't know. God, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just trying to withhold good things from me. But uh, he said that in, in Proverbs that he will withhold no good things to them that walk it uprightly that you have a God and this is why uh, point number two that God uh, is Lord Jesus is Lord is a good thing because he is holy for God to be God means that he's holy means he's perfectly good and capable of sinning the quality of his character is unlike any other First Samuel 2 and 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. God cannot sin against you. He cannot lie. He will not manipulate you. He will not exploit you. He cannot abuse you. He, will, he cannot, nor uh, will he exercise his authority in a way that will be out of step with his character. Therefore, it is safe and would do us well to trust in the lordship of Christ. For he is all holy. He is all loving. He is all good. He is all powerful. He is all present. He is all knowing. He is all just. He is all merciful. He's all kind. He's God and he's Lord all by himself. And the thing about it is you don't have to know that he's Lord for him to be Lord. It says that at the end time that all will bow and recognize that Jesus is Lord. And so really it would do us well to on this side of heaven say, huh, I see you as Lord and I trust and I give you my yes. And this is where I want to close. Surrender to Jesus is for our success, not our suffering. Many times we think of surrender as a bad connotation because to surrender means Jesus is going to restrict me and I can't do this and I can't go here or I can't be that. But God, but I want you to notice here that in Genesis, God saw that he, what he had made in Genesis 1, uh, 31, it says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And yet we have in Genesis chapter 2, 16 through 17, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day you will surely die. Notice that a good thing had boundaries on it. I want you to watch this short uh, video clip um, of 
um, one of our dearly loved church members, serves in the youth, has a great heart. To, she was just a little misguided on this day. Um, and so I just want you to take a look on what happened. Um, yeah. Here's how, how, I want, how I want to close. That it's all fun and games until you step out of the boundaries. If anybody knows about VR, what, what you do before you start playing a game is you set a boundary so that you don't run into things that would be dangerous as you are enjoying the game. And what had happened was someone who was not supposed to be there uh, ended, up, ended up scaring her out of the boundaries and then into danger. That, that even good things need boundaries. And so, trusting in the Lord for a yes, boundaries are not meant to be a burden, but a blessing. And so, as, we, as you close your eyes, as we close, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, this Lordship of Christ, it, it, I, I'm yearning for that. I, I, I want to say yes to that. I, I, I want Jesus to be the Lord over my life. That's what he was, that's what you were created for, for him to be Lord. And that's tugging at your heart this morning. I want to pray with you. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, you have not given your yes to Jesus. There's space for that. There's freedom in that yes. There's joy to be had in that yes. There is peace to be had in that yes. And so if that's you, would you just raise your hand on a count of three for that salvation to place your yes into Jesus for the first time? If that's you, I want to pray with you. Would you be bold enough to raise your hand if that's you on a count of one, two, three? God sees that hand. God sees that hand. God sees that hand. And secondly, before... We, we, we pray the, the sinner's prayer. If, if you're in this room and you're like, I, I believe Jesus is Lord, but there's some, still some areas in my life that I have not fully surrendered to the Lord. That's an invitation to you this morning. If you're like, I, I, I would like prayer for those areas that I could still uh, use total surrender in. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? I just want to pray with you. More importantly, God sees that hand. God, in the name of Jesus, God, would you be God in our lives? God, would you open our eyes to see you as Lord? God, that that is a good thing. God, that that is not meant to be a burden, but it's meant to be a delight in you, Lord. So I pray, God, would you produce that in us? God, you said in your word that no one can call you Lord except the work of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, do what you do best now. Would you open the eyes of our heart to see you? In Jesus' name, I pray. And would you all stand uh, for a moment? We're going to pray the prayer together in faith. Lord Jesus, would you be Lord over my life? You can handle my yes. God, I realize that I am a sinner in need of grace. Would you have your way in my life? Do what you want to do. I know it will be for your glory and for my good. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you rose up three days later with all power in your hands, and now I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.